Good morning. That's a great. Uh, ch- that's a great chapter, a great passage. Lots of great names uh, in in that uh, particular passage of the Bible. I I, I really love the Book of Haggai um, for a lot of reasons, and uh, but one of the reasons it has does have my absolute favorite name in all of the Bible, which is Zerubbabel. It's just a fun name to say. I just love saying it. Zerubbabel. Say that to yourself. Zerubbabel. It's fun. Yeah. It just you know just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? But um, we're in week seven uh, of our series that we've been going through over these past several weeks called Renewed, where we've been focusing on renewal, and we've been spending some time talking about this sort of natural ebb and flow that exists uh, in our spiritual lives, and it's sort of a natural part of our spiritual experience and our relationship with God. And in that, we mean that we're talking about that there are times where maybe we feel like we have this spiritual mountaintop type experience where we feel super close to God and feel like God is working just very powerfully in us and through us. But on the flip side, there are also times where we maybe have a sense of dryness and staleness about where we are with God. And it doesn't really feel like we're experiencing all that God may have for us in our walk with him. And in these times, it's likely that we might sense that something is missing in our lives. And we might be longing for something more than what we are currently experiencing. And we might do some things to try to fill that void. Um, But the principle that we've been talking about that's been guiding our time together over these past several weeks is this, is that this reality that the renewal that we seek flows from a prayerful response to this sense of spiritual dissatisfaction that we might find ourselves feeling. That we're approaching this sense of dissatisfaction in a way where we're bringing it to God and prayerfully seeking how God might have us respond to this sense of spiritual dissatisfaction that we're feeling. We spent the first couple weeks of the series sort of talking about what are we talking about when we're talking about renewal? What is renewal? Why And why is renewal important? Why do we need renewal? And then after that, we spent the last several weeks talking about what is this prayerful response to spiritual dissatisfaction look like? When we say that you know, renewal requires a, a prayerful response. What does that mean? What, which, what, how should we per, be pursuing this prayerful response? And we've looked at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, as sort of the guiding passage that sort of guided us through exploring what this prayerful response looks like. And then we've looked at how God worked out different aspects of renewal through his people, Israel, throughout, the, throughout their history, throughout the rest of Second Chronicles, we've looked at over the last several weeks. And we've talked about the need to humble ourselves before God. We've talked about the need to seek God's face and to pray and to turn from our wicked ways, turn from the things that might be part of our lives that God might not want to be part of our lives. So these last several weeks, what we've been focusing on is really some kind of internal heart issues, some internal heart changes, and the things that we need to turn away from. This morning, I want to spend some time talking about how that internal renewal 
is reflected in our lives in some external realities and some external commitments to and really recommitment to the work of God. The work of God in our lives and the work that God wants to do through us in the world. And we're actually going to be moving out of Second Chronicles uh, this morning uh, as we continue on in this conversation. But before we get into that, I want you to imagine with me. I mean, we have a lot of parents in the room, so maybe you don't necessarily have to imagine this uh, all that well. This Maybe this has been a reality at some point in your life. I mean, not for me and my kids, but maybe for you and, and your kids. But uh, maybe you've had a time where maybe there's been a, a particular chore that you've had a conversation with your kids around. And maybe there's been some conflict around getting that chore done. Let's just pick one. Let's say, like, making a bed. Let's say... You know, you're in a conflict, you and your child around like, I'm asking you to make your bed. You're not making your bed. Why aren't you making your bed? And it's just day in and day out. You're, you know, make your bed. I don't want to make my bed. Why do I have to make my bed? And it's just this conflict that sort of exists and continues between you and your child. But then let's say one day your child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, you know, I've been thinking and giving this a lot of thought, and I'm, I've been wrong. I've been wrong about making my bed. I shouldn't have been giving you such a hard time about this. You know, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me for not, for giving you such a hard time around not making my bed? I really feel really badly around it. And you might think, wow, this is, this is shocking. I'm not sure how to respond to this. Well, yeah, of course, of course, I forgive you. So does that mean, so you'll go make your bed now? Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I've been praying a lot about making my bed. I've been praying about it regularly. I've been seeking God about it. I've been praying about, you know, just bringing this issue before him and praying about getting this done and really seeking God. You might think, okay, wow, that's encouraging. I'm glad to hear that. So have you, have you made your bed? I'm like, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do, dad. Um, I've been praying. I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm praying about it. Also, what I've been doing is I've been getting together with other people who have sort of this similar struggle with making, with making beds. You know, my, me and some friends of mine, we've been talking about how we kind of have this similar conflict with our parents. We all have a hard time making our beds. So we get together every week, maybe every other week, and we talk about it. We talk about what makes this difficult. We talk about how we can encourage each other in this. We talk about maybe getting together and holding each other accountable around making our beds. And we're spending a lot of time really digging into this. And now as a parent, you might be thinking, "Um, this is weird. Um, But okay, so have you made your bed? I'm like, well, let me tell you what else I've been doing. Uh, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading about the best ways to go about making my bed? Like, what are some strategies that I can employ to make my bed? What are, how do I really get those hospital corners, like, really good and tight? And eventually, you have to be like, listen, you just have to do it. You just have to make it, like, this is all well and good, but this is getting a little bit ridiculous. It's just about whether or not you're going to do this thing that I've asked, that I've asked of you. You know, you can talk about it. You can pray about it. I'm glad that you're asking for forgiveness. Okay, if you need accountability around it. But all those things might be well and good, but are you going to do it? 
the question comes down to. And this is kind of, you know, this, this, this conversation probably seems pretty absurd to you. And if you were to actually have this conversation, you probably would have gotten frustrated long before we got to the end of this, and, you know, with your child. And it's absurd, but it's kind of the situation that we come to when we come to read Haggai chapter 1 this morning when we find the people, the position that we find the people of Israel in. But before we get into that, we need to back up a little bit. At the end of Second Chronicles, Israel has come to the point where the fullness of God's judgment on their sin and their lack of obedience to him is, is come about. And Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon come in and they take the people of Israel away into captivity. And they spend 70 years in captivity in the nation of Israel. I'm sorry, in, uh, in the nation of Israel spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And then at the end of that 70 years, God desires to restore his people. And he moves in the new king, Cyrus. And we see this at the end of Second Chronicles, the last couple of verses. At the end of Second Chronicles, we see Cyrus allows God's people to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Have a listen. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So the people of Israel, King Cyrus, allows the people of Israel to return to Jerusalem for the purposes of rebuilding the temple and going back to their home. They travel back home. They are sent with materials for the temple on their way back home, free will offerings, gold, silver, all these sorts of things to come back and rebuild the temple. They start work on the temple. They lay the foundation, but then they begin to encounter some resistance, some resistance from the people around them, some resistance from the new king of Persia that takes over, and construction on the temple halts. For 16 years, nothing more is done on the temple. And that's what brings us into Haggai chapter 1 right now that we've been talking about this morning. In Haggai chapter 1, we find the people restored back to their land, but not fully restored. Have a look at Haggai, verses 5 and 6 of the passage we just read. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Something to understand about the Old Covenant in the Old Testament uh, and, and, and helps us kind of frame this passage a little bit is that in the Old Covenant, faithfulness of the faithfulness of the people of Israel was always tied to the productivity of their land. So what God would always would consistently say is, look around you. If the land is not producing, if famine is coming on the land, if you're not, then look at your actions, look at your behavior, evaluate yourselves. The people of Israel, as they return back to the land, they've turned from their wicked ways. So they were in uh, captivity over issues of idolatry. Idolatry is not uh, an issue anymore. They've turned away from that but they had not yet come to a point where they'd fully committed their hearts back to God. 
And through Haggai, God is calling the people of Israel. He's saying, give careful thought to your ways. Basically, he's saying, look around you and evaluate your life. Are you currently experiencing all the fullness of what I have promised you in the covenant that I made with you? And that's the same call that God gives to us. Through Haggai, God goes on in his renewal call to call us to a renewed commitment to his work. But he's starting by asking them to evaluate their ways, look around you and see that you are not fully restored. You are not experiencing all that I have promised you. And ask yourself, why is that? And the point he's trying to make is that renewal leads eventually to a renewed commitment to the work of God. And a renewed commitment to the work of God requires some decisions on our part, as we're going to see in Haggai chapter 1. And the first decision that we need to make is the decision of whose we are. Not deciding who we are, but whose we are. Something that, there's something that's really easy to miss in verse 2 of chapter 1. In ver- Haggai 1 verse 2 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty says, These people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Notice he says, these people, not my people. When God refers to Israel this way in scripture, it's generally not associated with him being overly pleased with the people. Here's just a couple of other examples of this. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, where the Lord says, these people, Come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Then Jeremiah 14, then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, the famine, and plague. God's referring, God referring to the people of Israel as, this, as these people or this people is making the point that they are not behaving like his people. So the question is put to us, have we decided that we belong to God? That we are his people? Have we decided whose we are? If that's the case, then our next decision is that we need to decide to remove excuses. When it came to the task of of building the temple, as we said, it had been 16 years since any progress was made on the temple. People encountered resistance for sure, and and they stopped, but then never made any attempt to get the work going again. And Haggai points out the reason for this is that the people were saying, it's just not the right time. Look back at that verse, verse 2 of the chapter. It says, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It's just not the right time. Kind of cloaking sort of this lack of commitment and lack of obedience in this sort of guise of prudence or even wisdom. We're just wait. We're not, not, we're not refusing to obey. We're just waiting for the right time to, to build the temple. Well, if you remember, think back to the first pa- one of the passages we, we looked at first. The whole reason they were allowed to return to the land first and foremost, was to rebuild the temple. 
And this is reiterated again in Ezra, the same, almost, almost identical to what we read at the end of Second Chronicles. In Ezra chapter 1, verses, 1, verses 2 through 4, says this, This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem. Then he's skipping down. Let, let him go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple. And then here's silver and gold and goods and livestock for the temple. It seems like God was pretty clear 16 years ago that the time was right to build the temple. In Ezra, so we, and we see that in the end of Second Chronicles, we see it reiterated in Ezra. But when they started to face discouragement and adversity, it just wasn't the right time anymore. It's not the right time anymore. You know, some of the things that they faced, people who were older, you know, and they saw the foundation of this temple laid and they remembered Solomon's temple and they said, this temple just doesn't look as nice. It's not going to be as grand as Solomon's temple. And they were discouraged. And then people in the surrounding areas didn't like that the temple was being rebuilt. So they harassed and they threatened them. And all of a sudden, the time just wasn't right anymore. No dispute that this was a hard task that they were being given. And they were being met with some significant adversity. But it was still what God was calling them to do. Here's the thing for us. There's always going to be a reason. There's always going to be a reason we can come up with to justify a lack of obedience, to justify a lack of commitment to what God is calling us to do, to following the will and character of God in our lives, especially when it comes to doing hard things. Laura. Hey, Lord. So how did it go with Kat? Did you talk to her? Oh, well, Lord, not exactly. (laughs) Did you forgive her? Well, Lord, I mean, I was just thinking, like, why should I forgive her? (laughs) Because I asked you to. Well, yeah, I know you did, Lord, but why? We shouldn't have to know why, just that I asked you to do it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Lord. I mean, you don't understand the situation. Kathleen has an attitude problem. Laura, you believe that I know what is best for you and for Kat? Well, yeah, Lord. Then you'll do this. But, Lord... This is no different than when I've asked you to do anything else. Yes, this is, Lord. This is way different. When I asked you to quit your job, you quit. Well, of course, Lord, but I didn't like my job, so I was happy to leave, you know? I mean, this is way different. Okay, Lord, you know what? I've got an idea. How about we give it a week, and I'll pray about it? Uh, I'll give you my answer now. Uh, But, Lord... Look, Kat's coming by here very soon. She's coming by here? Well, uh, let's go. Now's your chance to talk to her. I want you to forgive her. Lord, you don't understand. Hey! Hey! It's been like two weeks since we've had coffee. Oh, it has. We should totally get together this week. Wow, I can't do that. I am so busy. Oh, yeah. Well, how about next week? Well, you know, actually, I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Oh, well, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's great. Uh Uh-huh. All right. um, I guess I'll just um, see you later then. Bye. Lord, did you hear that attitude? I thought you were going to forgive her. I thought you said we could wait a week, Lord. No, you said that. Okay, Lord, you're being unreasonable, okay? Why don't you just go talk to Kathleen and have her come to me and ask for my forgiveness? Laura, you need to obey. I want you to forgive Kat. But, Lord... Why do you keep calling me Lord? You won't even do what I ask. We likely aren't called to rebuild a temple. But 
there are difficult things that we're called to in our lives. Could be forgiving somebody who has wronged us. Could be committing to an opportunity to serve or sharing our faith. And there's always going to be reasons that we can come up with to avoid doing those things. But internal renewal means moving past those things and obeying anyway. But excuses aren't the only things that get in the way when it comes to renewing our commitment to the work that God has called us to. The next decision we need to make is we need to decide to reevaluate our priorities. When challenged around the building of the temple, the people of Israel responded, it wasn't the right time, to which God responds in verses 3 and 4. And the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, we're not entirely sure what that reference to paneled houses means in that passage, but the connotation seems to be that these were somehow in some way beyond sort of the simple homes that you might expect people who had just returned from exile uh, to be living in. And I want to be very careful about this because what this is not, this is not an indictment of people living in nice houses. You know, it's not an indictment of people who have nice things or who do well or success. This is an indictment on the people of Israel in terms of priority because Uh, The implication here is that they had foregone work on the temple and dedicated themselves to sort of building up really nice houses for themselves. And there's also an implication here that there's a possibility that they may have actually taken some of the materials that were dedicated for the rebuilding of the temple and used those materials in the building of their own houses. So the issue here is an issue of priority. Interesting, if we think about our lives, if I were to think about my life, if you were to think about your life, if somebody were to just sort of follow you around for a while and just to watch, it'd be creepy for sure, but just somebody who was watching your life, a silent observer, watching the decisions that you make, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you spend your energy on, not, not what you say, but just what we do. What we spend our re- how we use our resources. What would that person conclude about our priorities in life? And what would that person conclude about the priority of the work of God in our lives? Several years ago, I had somebody respond to me in a way that was quite convicting and quite challenging when I was re- in my responding to a situation about not having enough time uh, to do something. And he said this: Next time you want to respond that you don't have time for something. Try saying it this way. That's not a priority for me right now. Now, there might be times where saying something, saying that something isn't a priority might be appropriate. It might be wise. But I think if we're honest with ourselves and we think back to maybe some of the things that we've said we don't have time for, imagining responding, that's not a priority for me right now, might sting. A little bit. I know that's true for myself when I look at some of the things that I have sometimes said I don't have time for. And one of the things that we've talked about in this series is that renewal is accomplished through normal spiritual practices. What are we talking about when we're talking about normal spiritual practices? Things like time with God and His Word, cultivating relationships with God's people 
in individual and corporate settings. Serving God by serving others. Sharing our faith in words and in tangible ways. Prioritizing these things and making the decision to prioritize these things. And then we decide to begin. When we recognize that we know that God is calling us to prioritize these things, we need to just start. God continues his message to the people of Israel, and he says, go. In verse 8, go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. We're tempted to be like the child that I mentioned earlier on or the woman in the video that we just watched. I'll think about it. I'll pray about it. I want to talk to other people about it. And not to say we shouldn't be doing those things, but we also need to just start. And we can certainly start small, but start. Start because we're his, because he will be honored and pleased, but also start because the world needs it. mission of the church matters. When we renew the work of God in our church and in the world, we're the light that God calls us to be. But something else also happens. God shows up. The moment that people hear and respond to the challenge of God, it's no longer this people or these people 
but God is their God. Now look at Haggai chapter 1, first part of verse 12 and then 13. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. When we renew our commitment to the work of God, he will empower us, guide us, and encourage us, and he will work in us and through us. For the people of Israel the external reflection of their internal commitment at this particular point in their history was the rebuilding of the temple. But what is it for us? There might be specific ways that that God is leading and directing in your life. I don't know what those are, and I can't speak to those. But there are also very general ways that God leads us that God desires for us, that are true for all of us. And I'd like to hit on just some of those quickly. What are these external commitments of this internal renewed heart? The first is just a commitment to God, to knowing him first and foremost through Jesus, through what Jesus did in his work on the cross for us, and acknowledging him as the master of our lives and a commitment to time with him, time to grow in that relationship with him as we spend time with him. Commitment to his word, to knowing and growing in our knowledge and understanding of God's word. Our commitment to obedience of God's word in our lives. Taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves to us to spend time both individually and corporately in God's word. His people, a commitment to establishing and cultivating and growing relationships with other believers in informal settings, yes, but also in consistent corporate participation in the church. Relationships that encourage us, yes, but also challenge us in our walk and relationship with God. And a commitment to his will. And a commitment to obey and be directed by his will, no matter what. No matter what that might mean for me, my life, my comfort. A commitment to prioritize the things that God prioritizes, to value the things that he values, and a commitment to make him known, both in word and deed, to the people he brings across our path, and a commitment to sacrifice what might be good for what he knows is best. As we think of these, maybe there's an area that comes to mind for you. As we've been mentioning throughout the series, renewal flows from a prayerful response to spiritual dissatisfaction. In the last section of you, if you've been following along in the bulletin, in the last section of your notes in the bulletin, there's a section heading, a prayerful response. And you might be looking at that being worried, like, I can't believe we have a whole other section to go in this message. But that's just for you. (laughs) 
this is for you. I'd like to ask you to take a minute. Take a minute in silent prayer now, and maybe even, maybe even continue it after, and into this afternoon and tonight. Connect with the Father. If one of these areas resonates with you, and you're saying to yourself, I'm feeling this sense of spiritual dissatisfaction, take that to God. Take it to him and ask him, what would you have me do, God? How can I be renewed? How can I renew my commitment to your work in the world? I'm going to ask you to take a moment of silent prayer for that. Feel free to jot anything down that comes to mind. And then I will close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we belong to you. We're so thankful that through your Son, we've been brought back into relationship with you, Father. God, we know that there are times when we feel closer and there are times when we don't feel so close in terms of our relationship with you. God, help us to come to you with our dissatisfaction, come to you with our dryness and our staleness, Direct our path, God. Show us how you desire to renew us, Father, internally and then externally, how we, you desire that renewal to show itself in our lives and to the world around us, Father. I pray that we would just be prayerfully considering with you how you are leading us, how you are guiding us, and that we would be submissive to you and your will in our lives. Thank you that what you desire for us is so much greater than what anything that we can plan or desire for ourselves. I pray that you would help us to trust in that, to believe in your goodness and in your greatness and your work in our lives. In Jesus' name.